With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome along to this week's Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined today by Rhys Daly and Kieran King as we run the ball over another busy weekend of Premier League football. Uh, of course, we've got a couple of derbies to digest all in good course, but sadly this week we do start with the sad passing of Sir Bobby Charlton. One of the boys of 66, one of England football's greatest players, one of Manchester United's greatest ever players as well. The sad news coming through that he passed away aged 86 on Saturday. Football fans up and down the country were paying tribute to him in their own special way and it was phenomenal to see that. But Reese, I'm, I'm going to start with you and I suppose it's probably, you know, the three of us, we're probably the wrong people perhaps to ask this question to. Of course, for anyone watching along, you will see that we are all under the age of, of 40. So for us to, you know, probably for most of us as well on this show, probably even under the age of 30 as well. But for us, we never had that opportunity to see Bobby Charlton live. We've had to watch it through clips and, and stuff that we've seen, the stories that have been passed down from our parents and, and older relatives who did have the privilege of seeing him. But a phenomenal player. And and like I said there, we can still appreciate what he was able to do on the football pitch despite not having that privilege of, of watching him live. He, he was some talent, wasn't he? Absolutely, yeah. And it, it says a lot that we all know who he is and what he did and and how his style of play, is, it's been gone down the generation, isn't it? And it's sad almost that the generation below us won't have that. We, we've had that sort of first-hand knowledge of, of people telling us what he was like and seeing clips of him and seeing him at Old Trafford every week reminded us, didn't it, what, what an important player he was for the club and, and for England as well. And it's, it's, just, it's a really sad loss and not seeing him at Old Trafford in the last few years, even for a neutral, it's been sad. But his legacy is something that is will never be forgotten uh, for English football. You just see the, the ex-players that come out and call him not one of, but the greatest England footballer of all time. And now it's just time to to remember how important he was and not just for, for his club, but for the trajectory of football in this country. You know, we're not sure which way it would have gone if it wasn't for England winning that World Cup. It, it could have been a completely different sport. So how important he was and just looking back at his, his style of play and how he could hit that football is it's unlike anything we've probably seen since because it's in how, how heavy it was. and But just sort of a quiet leader, I think, is what is the vibe I got um from watching clips and seeing seeing interviews with him and part of one of the greatest families in English football history, probably the greatest. And yeah, he's uh, he'll never be forgotten. He's and universally loved, which is um which is a rare thing in football. So yeah, it's, it's a sad loss for everyone. Yeah, Kieran, as as Reese touched on there, obviously, you know, phenomenal player for Manchester United, phenomenal player for England as well. You know, when when he set the records that he did, he was the most capped player at the time, was England's top goal scorer at the time as well. Obviously only Recently passed by Wayne Rooney and then subsequently Harry Kane obviously set a new record as well. But just whatever he did and, and whoever he was playing for, he, he was such a, a player. And as, and as Reese said there, you know, it wasn't just his talents. It was the leadership that he brought to that as well, to the, to the team that he was playing in. 
And for a player to, to be as revered across the country as he was, you know, shows how well he did for not just his club, but for his country as well, for everyone to be united in, in their tributes and, and the respect that they've shown for him over the last couple of days. Yeah, no, I'd absolutely agree. I mean, you know, stats, you know, I know stats are quite overused, you know, in modern day football. But if you look at, you know, how many goals he scored for Manchester United from the field, you know, 249 in, in what, 758 games. And that's a staggering record itself. Can, you know, some of the top players now nowadays don't even reach them numbers. So, you know, it is just a testament to to him and, and, and what he achieved. And I think seeing the tributes, I know David Moyes says something yesterday about, you know, not just the player, but the man himself. Um, obviously, you know, I didn't have the privilege to meet him and, and I know many many of us didn't, but they can, you know, appreciate what he achieved and and how he sort of left that legacy on on sort of Manchester United. Um, so again, you know, like Reece said, I think um, it just showed what a good person he was and what a good, you know, footballer he was, the amount of tributes that are coming in um, to him. Obviously, the news coming through Saturday afternoon, Reese. but very quickly we saw... Um, not just football managers and of course in their press conferences a lot of them were asked about and even Pep Guardiola playing a, a, a great tribute to him at the weekend and likewise Eric Ten Hag as well obviously Manchester United manager but it wasn't just the managers it was it was the fans as well you know we saw it across the country breaking into spontaneous chants of one Bobby Charlton um, throughout matches as the news broke through on Saturday and obviously again uh, during the Aston Villa uh, West Ham game as well we had that chant uh, before kickoff as fans remembered him and it was it was great to see that, wasn't it? To to kind of see those those tributes as the news filtered through and, and fans kind of almost putting what they were seeing in front of them in, in terms of their teams, uh, putting that to one side for one moment and, and paying their respects to again, as we've said throughout this morning, a, a fantastic player and, a, and an even better person. Yeah, it really was heartwarming and seeing. I think often we know how important he was to England and to our country and to football. But seeing foreign players and foreign players of a younger generation as well and how emotional they were, that, that often gives you that sense of just how important he was around the world. And seeing the manager's tributes, yeah, as, as you said, Pep Guardiola, that was really heartwarming. I'm sure that's something his family would, would really appreciate as well. And the, the best type of minute silence, aren't they the ones that break out into the applause and that, that recognition and just that respect for him was, was really nice to see. And it, it just shows that he is... One of, one of these sort of figures that can't really be replaced and there might not ever be a player as important to English football as Bobby Charlton. And I think there was some talk about maybe the United game being postponed, but not knowing him personally, but I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't have wanted that to be the case where he wouldn't have to play football. And yeah, as we say, well, as we're about to say, I think later on, but United will have a, a special tribute, I imagine, line up at Old Trafford and that'll be a really emotional night for, for everyone connected to the club, yeah. Yeah, Kieran, just coming on to that, uh, as Reece said there, Manchester United, a uh, home game against uh, Copenhagen in the Champions League on Tuesday night. That's going to be an emotional night for everyone involved with the club. Obviously, the game that they had at the weekend was at Sheffield United. They still paid their own tributes there. Uh, Bruno Fernandes laid down a wreath uh, before kickoff, holding them in its silence. But uh, as Reece said, I'm sure there's going to be uh, you know, a, a great tribute by the club planned ahead of that game against Copenhagen. And We'll come on to that game and what it will mean a little bit more depth uh, later on in the show. But in terms of the emotion around it, the first Manchester United game at home since the sad news of Sir Bobby Charlton's passing, it, it's going to be a, a really, really emotional game and, and match for the players and and for the fans as well. You know, as, as Reece said there, you know, Sir Bobby was regularly seen in the stands at Old Trafford, um, you know, in, in recent years. The players will have known him extremely well and, and the fans will want to, to pay their own special tribute to, to a player who, they really understood as, as being one of their own almost. Yeah, I think for me, it just shows what an impact he has when you've got a stand named after him as well. 
you know, Sir Bobby Charlton stand at Old Trafford, you know, that they'll probably, you know, be quite emotional when, when obviously the, the players come out um, on Tuesday night. And I think, you know, you, you often see with, you know, sad passings across across the football in, you know, well, when, when the first home game of that club um, is played, it is often quite emotional. And obviously the anniversary of, you know, passings as well is quite emotional. So I think, you know, the, the United community will come together tomorrow to, to pay their respects, um, you know, at home. Obviously you mentioned that the game was away at Sheffield United, but I think it meant, um, because of the, you know, that I think the announcement was at four, four o'clock. The game was at eight. I think it, you know, it was such a, a quick turnaround, and I think it was such a shock to the United players and everybody, you know, connected with football, um, that it, it was quite poignant. You know, the way they they sort of remembered him on on Saturday, and I think it'd be the same on Tuesday. And of course, I speak for everyone on behalf of the show and and uh, throughout reaches three national titles as well. That of course, our thoughts are with uh, Sir Bobby's family at this time. And and yeah, as we've said this morning, throughout what a what a man, what a player, uh, and and will be sorely missed uh, in English football and of course throughout the world of football too. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Moving on to the weekend's Premier League action uh, now, Reese, and we're going to start with the first game of the weekend, the Merseyside derby. Um, victory for Liverpool in the end, uh, perhaps maybe a little bit tougher than they would have liked, uh, you know, played against 10 men for so long. It took until, what was it, gone past the 70th minute, wasn't it, when when Mohamed Salah uh, slammed home the, the penalty and then added his second in stoppage time. But for Liverpool, I suppose, you know, after what had happened in their two games leading into the international break, um, you know, losing at Spurs in that fashion that that did happen, um, and of course the the draw at Brighton. I suppose the important thing for Liverpool was just to get back on the horse really. And we'll come to Manchester City, another team we needed to get back on the horse in a second. But for Liverpool, for the aspirations, for what they want to achieve this year, getting the win was fine. It was quite funny though that I did see on on Twitter during the game with a few fans suggesting that Mohamed Salah had played the worst that they've ever seen for Liverpool. He still comes up with two goals, so I suppose that's the mark of a of a brilliant player. Touched the game, you know, and, and had his impact on the game despite not playing great. And Liverpool will be delighted to to come out of that with all three points. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's that is the greatest fixture for Liverpool, isn't it? When they're having a bit of a struggle, they see Everton at home. I mean, if Liverpool have won thirty games in a row, or they they've lost three in a row, you'd still think they're going to beat Everton. It's just one of them games where Everton just can't seem to, to get that ball in the net and the red card. And yeah, Liverpool, that's the only difficulty Liverpool fans be thinking, why was it not more easy? And uh, Salah, as he said, it was a little bit withdrawn in his celebrations because he probably thought himself, like this should have this come earlier. It shouldn't have been this tough. But 
yeah, uh, in the end, an important win. It did feel like eventually they were going to make the breakthrough, and when they do, it, it looks more simple on paper than it actually was. But they're quite quietly ticking over Liverpool, apart from though that last sort of VAR drama, and they're a point off top at the moment. So it has quietly sort of happened for them, and even when they're not playing as well, they've picked up that result there against Everton. So. Yeah, it's, it's quiet. I'm not sure that they're quite as strong as some of the other teams we might mention a bit later on, but it, it moving in the right direction. In the last few years, it felt like they were they were going down in, in a downward dip, didn't it? It felt like how's Klopp going to going to get them back on track? But it, it's quietly okay for Liverpool at the moment, and another important win. But of course, one you, you expect them to get every single time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we are recording this Monday morning before Tottenham, who were the previous league leaders uh, before they play against Fulham, uh, and it's a good thing as well because I'm sure um, me and Reese might not be talking on this podcast if, if we were doing this Tuesday morning instead, <laughs> depending on how that match may have gone. Uh, for any regular listeners, we'll know that I'm a Spurs fan and, and Reese, of course, a, a Fulham fan. Kieran, though, we are going to move down to London. And yes, we might have a London derby tonight in the Premier League, as we say, recording this Monday. So it is uh, Fulham against Spurs on Monday night. But we did have one at the weekend as well. We're being treated here. Uh, Chelsea up against Arsenal. For Arsenal to battle back from two goals down to get that draw, what does it show about Mikel Arteta's team and the resilience that they've got? I know they were uh, beneficiaries of a rather large goalkeeping mistake from Robert Sanchez to get that first one. But still, to kind of have that belief and that you know drive and, and kind of kick on from there, you know, for them, they'll definitely see this perhaps as you know maybe going into the game they would have, have, have come out of it with a draw, kind of looking at that as as two points drop. But now they'll see this as as one point gain, given where they were and how they were so late into the game. It it's a good mental signpost, I think, for this Arsenal side. Yeah, I think they showed um, sort of great character in the, in the last fifteen minutes to sort of come away with a point because I thought Chelsea were. Yeah, I mean, cruise control, I thought they were dominant really throughout most of the game, um, especially in that first half. Um, obviously, I know they scored sort of from a, you know, controversial sort of handball that, you know, a lot of people have sort of, um, you know, contrasting sort of views on whether it was a penalty or not. But, you know, via the letter of the law, it, it was a penalty and, and obviously Cole Palmer uh, sort of converted it but I think you know I know Arsenal scored the first goal from as you've mentioned you know Robert Sanchez sort of goalkeeping error but I think you know for me the most impressive thing from Arsenal's point of view is just they just don't give up you know they're just not giving up you know you showed stages last season you know I remember the game against Bournemouth at home when they were 2-0 down you know they came back in the second half to win 3-2 it happened on a couple of other occasions as well I remember they were you know 2-1 down at Villa 4-2 4-2 so I think for me it's just you know um, they're, they're showing signs of a, a, a top team um, although I don't think they've clicked into full gear yet you know I know they beat Manchester City last time out before the international break but there's been times this season where they've um, drew games um, I know against Spurs at home they weren't at the best they drew against you know your team Reese Fulham um, at home as well and I think they, they haven't sort of, you know, shown what they can sort of do fully yet. So um, I think there is, you know, there, there is a lot of signs to improve for Arsenal, but, you know, it definitely shows good signs for the future that they can come from behind and, and get a point at Chelsea, even though Chelsea haven't had the greatest of starts, despite sort of how they've, well, they've played recently. Yeah, I was going to say, Reese, on that point about Chelsea, they, they kind of seem to, you know, have an uptick going into the international break, then take a two-goal lead at home to Arsenal. They would have hoped to see that out. Just in terms of Chelsea and the development journey that they're on, how much of a blow will this be? Because they would have taken so much confidence from that, wouldn't they? You know, regardless of how they took the lead, and you know, we'd probably do an entire podcast on on that old handball 
situation around the weekend as well, uh, because that would just bore people to death, I think. But in terms of Chelsea, if they had seen that game out, that would have been such a huge boost to them mentally in terms of the development that they're on and, and the kind of journey that they're on. I kind of, I don't know, for them, does it does it set them back a little bit perhaps to, to concede in the way that they did? Is it something that could actually help them in the long run as well, that they will learn from this? They don't want this pain again of chucking away a two-goal lead and that they'll kind of, when they get into these situations again, they'll be a little bit more savvy perhaps maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe it might help them in the long run, but I just feel for them that this is a, a, a kind of chance missed to really, really have a big psychological boost on, on their journey. Yeah, I think there'll be split camps. I think Pochettino would be of the mindset I think quite quickly after the disappointment, he would have thought about how dominant they were and how good they looked and how some of their more important players are now stepping up and, and looking better. And it, it's a danger to other clubs when you see Chelsea start looking a little bit good because they've got all this talent, haven't they, and all these injuries. It's it's a bit of a fear of everyone else. But I think for fans more so, that losing out to Arsenal, or not, well, it's a draw in the end, but losing out those three points to Arsenal, that would have really stung. And yeah, I, I know what you mean. They'll, they'll sort of try and learn from that. But at the same time, we've got to remember, as Kieran mentioned, Arsenal are, are the kings of, of, these, of these late comebacks and, and they're, they're genuine belief that they're going to win. I don't think we can accuse them of giving up in previous years. I think they'd always give it a go, but they just didn't have that, that I don't know what it is, that little bit of fire in the, in the end and in the box. That, but now Arsenal, you think, they, they think they're going to win. They probably thought they were going to win every, that game as well at, at the weekend. So I think for Chelsea, it is a positive, although they are still... 10th in the table and I think it's 3-3-3 three, three, and three for wins, draws and losses now which sort of sums up where they are doesn't it but I think in the long run that is a positive result and uh, Arsenal be quite happy but it's a third draw for them now so how many times can you really do that and then hope Man City don't pick up maximum points but yeah for Chelsea it is a positive and Pochettino would be um, I think over the disappointment quite quickly because he saw how dominant they were in the start of that game. Yeah, that record there, I think you describe it as consistently inconsistent. It's, <laughs> you never know what, you know, mixed bag, isn't it, completely. Went to the pick and mix still and got everything. Um, but in terms of Manchester City, though, Kieran, back to winning ways for them, as, as we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, back to winning ways, Rodri back in the squad. We could perhaps go and say, oh, you know, it's him and and they lost all three without him and now he's back and magically they're better. But I think it was a little bit more than that, perhaps. But in terms of for them, you know, it would have been a complete disaster. Three defeats in a row. Could have well been. You know, we know how well Brighton have played under Roberto De Gervi in the last year or so and, and not just this season. But for them to get that win as well, kind of, I know it's, yeah, I don't know, it feels a little bit different for this Manchester City side that perhaps they are so mentally strong and they've been there, done it, got the T-shirts for every single competition pretty much that they'll have, you know, even if it was three, they would have brushed it to one side and carried on and started smashing teams again. But in terms of this title race and kind of, where they are, they kind of perhaps needed this winter to kind of, you know, push aside what happened in the two weeks before the international break and just go, right, okay, we've reset, we've come back and now we're going to get back into our stride again. Yeah, I think they needed it. I think they needed the three points because obviously, as you mentioned, they, you know, they felt to, you know, defeats against Wolves and Arsenal before the international break in the Premier League. And I think just purely for their confidence um, and sort of, you know, the morale within the camp, I think they just needed to get the three points. It doesn't matter how they did it. Um, and I thought they, um, I thought they started the game well against Brighton, and obviously scored the t- the two goals through Alvarez and and you know Harland again. Um, and you know although uh, Brighton grew into it in the second half, um, I didn't feel like you know they created too much to really trouble sort of Stefan Ortega, who obviously came into the side for Edison, who was given a rest. Um, and I feel like, you know, they're the back to the top of the table. I know it's early, early, um, you know, early, early sort of, you know, stages of the season, but 
you know, even though Arsenal beat Man City, they're still below them in the table, which is staggering really to think um, because City have you've lost two matches and obviously one of them to Arsenal. But I think that just shows, you know, that that, that when Man City do play, they're, they're ruthless when they win. Um, and I think, um, again, you know, it's their title to lose this season, um, I, I believe, because... Um, although Liverpool and, and you know Tottenham are are, um, are also chasing, I, I do think City will once they get the players back from you know injury. Obviously, De Bruyne is still out until January. You know he'll be a massive boost. I think they've missed him, um, his creativity and and his sort of um, way of, of sort of creating attacks. Um, and obviously, Rodri back now is is massive because I, I do think they look very disjointed. Even though I was really impressed with Rico Lewis against Arsenal. I think they look very disjointed um, in, in those two Premier League matches that he missed. Yeah, Rich, just, just quickly on that point that Kieran raised there, that Manchester City are still above Arsenal. I mean, it's only goal difference, but for them to have lost the games that they have this season, to have lost twice, and Arsenal to have not pulled away, and, and for them to still be on the same points uh, total, is it a missed opportunity for Arsenal, Manchester City, they don't slip up often. You know, we've seen this before, you know, Liverpool just go and ask them what happened in, in uh, 20, uh, 2022 in, in that title race. You know, Liverpool, when Manchester City slipped up, Liverpool weren't able to capitalise as much as perhaps they wanted to. And, and eventually that kind of came back and, and bit them. Um, and Arsenal, are they, you know, I know it's it's only October and, you know, we're not even 10 games into the season and it could unfold very differently and we don't know how things are going to go. But, you know, we could flash forward to May and, and you know, these moments here where Arsenal haven't been able to to capitalise fully on the Manchester City slip-ups to still be level on points after City have lost two games in their first nine. Yes, Arsenal haven't lost any. Yes, they're showing good resilience in, you know, dragging points out of difficult positions, i.e. that Chelsea game. But you kind of worry that, as I said there, City, they don't, they don't drop points often. So when they do, you kind of have to maximise those opportunities. Yeah, I, I, looking at the, the form guide now and seeing there's two reds in the last five for City now, it, it still just looks bewildering in a way. And of course, they lost in the cup as well, didn't they? So that was a really torrid run, which you just can't see happening again. And we mentioned the importance of Rodri, but I don't know if that plays on the mind of the players when they're on the pitch. If they know Rodri isn't playing, they, they can't play to their full ability. I know De Bruyne is missing as well. But he was enjoying the UFC at the weekend, though, so I think he's quite happy. But yeah, but City losing those two games. They could quite easily finish the season with two losses and you would see it as just a normal season. So the fact that Arsenal haven't been able to go above them, I think it hasn't the light hasn't been shone on that as much because the title race is still sort of a, a mixed bag, isn't it? There's still there's still a, a few names in there and Tottenham could still, of course, go two points above them as well. And that would maybe showcase where, where City have, have slipped up. But it, I think they won't worry too much at, at the moment, teams like Arsenal, because they, they, they saw obviously they beat City. They'll see they've got another game against them. Um, I don't think it's going to be playing on the minds too much because it's not just those two at the forefront. If it was, and they were sort of five points there already and Arsenal were level, then you'd really be thinking, right, they've, they've slipped up here. But because it's quite early and there's a few teams in there and I think at the moment it's okay. It's going to be one of them seasons, hopefully as a neutral, which is not a 100-point season because it's just not fun, is it? It's like Verstappen. It's, it's not fun for anyone. No one likes it like that. So hopefully it's a bit tighter and... As a neutral, I hope City have a few more slip-ups uh, later on in the season to make it more interesting, yeah. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. 
a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Before we finish this morning, we are going to turn our attentions now to the Champions League. Uh, and of course, Manchester United, as we touched on, a, a, a brilliant win in perhaps difficult circumstances, given the news that they received before their match uh, at Sheffield United at the weekend. Kieran, in terms of Tuesday, we've touched on it already that we expect it to be an emotional night for Manchester United. But for the players, do they need to, you know, when that whistle goes and the game kicks off, do they need to part that emotion? Because their start to the Champions League campaign hasn't been great at all. And that's probably putting it quite mildly. Uh, two defeats from two. You would expect them to get the better of, of Copenhagen, um, you know, not just in this game, but when they were played that return game in, in Denmark in a few weeks. But equally, you would have expected them to be Galatasaray. The, the the interesting thing now is that they are in a position, perhaps, where you know top spots probably gone. Any dreams and ideas of that has, has gone already. But to qualify for the knockout stages, they're going to need to perhaps go unbeaten now between now and, and and the end of the campaign just to get enough points. And they're definitely going to have to win all of their remaining home games to to put them in any chance. I think they need to be able to to get all those points that they need on the board. And especially at home, like I said, before they start worrying about getting up, you know, what we need from away games. They they have to beat Copenhagen on, on Tuesday night, don't they? Yeah, it's a must win. It really is. And obviously, you know, falling to sort of back-to-back defeats at the start of the Champions League group, they've got to beat Copenhagen, um, especially at home as well. Um, although I was really impressed with Copenhagen, actually, I watched the um, I watched the game against Bayern Munich they played last time out, um, and they were one goal ahead. And I actually thought they um, they actually deserved to get something from the game. Um, and obviously, Bayern scored late on to um, I remember it was a you know sublime piece of play from Thomas Muller to um, you know get the uh, get the winning goal. Um, but yeah, for Fiorentina's point of view, they've got to win the game and they've got to sort of pick up points quickly to to stand any chance of sort of qualifying from the group because you know Galatasaray are on sort of four points um, now, uh, Bayern Munich are on six, so United are still on you know zero. So they've got to you know get some points on the board and 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 I think their form has been so like Chelsea's really it's been so up and down this season that they need to sort of get some consistency and obviously back to back sort of Premier League wins now having beaten you know Brentford and, and Sheffield United I think they'll be buoyed by that despite the performances not being as as probably up to standard as they would have hoped um, so I think they've got to beat Copenhagen and again I don't think like you know I've mentioned with, with Manchester City I don't think it matters how they do it performance wise 
Um, they've just, just got three points on the board. Reese, for another team that are in action on Tuesday night, this time being Arsenal, I suppose that they need something as well. They didn't get the result that they wanted last time out in the Champions League at Lords. Uh, they're on the road again, this time up against Sevilla. And I suppose for them, you know, it's not as imperative of Manchester United to get the win this time, but they definitely need something out of it because what seemed like perhaps a, I wouldn't say straightforward, I think that's a bit, you know, maybe disrespectful to some of the other sides in it, but a, a good, a nice group for Arsenal to return to the Champions League. No Bayern Munich or Barcelona to scare them this time. That will just wait for them in the uh, in the knockout stages, perhaps, if they get there. But they need that, don't they now? You know, they would have expected and perhaps, you know, the fans would have expected definitely to get something out of that game in Lons, if not all three points. And, and that didn't come. So now the pressure's on perhaps you do have to win or take some points at least if you are to progress to the next round. And Arsenal need that now in that game against Sevilla. Absolutely, yeah. And there's been a bit of a surprise package, I suppose, in Lens. I know it's only two games in, but I think Arsenal would have been expecting to go into this one uh, six points apiece with Sevilla, I would I would assume. But yeah, I, we did discuss when it came out, I think in my friendship group, it is a bit of a Europa League group. I think it's probably because of Arsenal have been there, but a few of the other teams and Sevilla obviously love that competition. But I think three points after two games... It's okay, isn't it? Uh, they're just back in the Champions League. But if, you, if you're suddenly three points after three, then you're, you're looking over your shoulder, really, at um, the bottom of the group. So I think Arsenal need to shake that defeat out of their systems because I don't think anyone saw it come in. It looked like they were going to be comfortable with that draw. But um, yeah, that, that, it's not good. And Sevilla, as we know, can beat anyone when, when, they, when they really turn it on. So it's a massive game for Arsenal to just stay on track. Um, draws probably okay, depending on what happens in the other game. But... It really is easier said than done. And the Arsenal have to be a lot better than they were against Chelsea if they're going to beat Sevilla. And of course, that game being the Unai Emery derby, both uh, both listing him among their former managers as well. Although I think Sevilla fans are a little bit more happy to mention his name than maybe Arsenal fans are, given what happened in his uh, in his spill there in North London. Um, Kieran, moving on to Wednesday's Champions League games now. Uh, Manchester City they look in complete control as we fully expected of their group already two wins from two they're away to young boys in Switzerland on Wednesday night but with their big Premier League game against their biggest Premier League rivals or at least their closest anyway maybe not biggest in terms of that sense in the last few years given what Manchester United have or have not achieved Um, but in terms of, of that game are we expecting if you were Pep Guardiola, there is one game that you're probably prioritising this week and it's not that trip to Switzerland, is it? So should we expect a bit of Pep rotation midweek in this Champions League game? And would that perhaps then give an opportunity to young boys to, to go and spring something of a surprise? I think it feels sort of a similar situation to the one just before the international break where they play Sevilla and then Arsenal um, sort of within quick succession um, of each other and and a lot of people were expecting sort of you know Guardiola to rotate but I think that was slightly different in the fact that Rodri was unavailable for the Arsenal game um, and he was able to play against um, Red Bull Leipzig or RB Leipzig in the uh, in the Champions League so I think he will make changes but I think he, he won't make too many changes um, because I think he's just got to keep some sort of consistency and sort of get that winning feeling back in the camp so I think, you know, the likes of maybe Jack Grealish might come back into the side. Rico Lewis will, will likely play, in my opinion, because he was unfortunate not to play. I think, the you know, Ruben Diaz didn't start against Brighton on the weekend. I think he will play just to get his, you know, Matt Sharpness back, head of the Manchester derby. Uh, and Edison, you know, likely will come back in goal again for, for Ortega. 
Um, so I, I wouldn't, you know, expect to see wholesale changes from Manchester City, but I expect to see one or two, um, you know, maybe just to keep the players sort of fresh and ready to face United in the in the in the Premier League. But um, you know, if, if Manchester City win this one, um, you know, it'd be three wins from three. They'd be, you know, cruising. Even though, like, the, the games they've played, they haven't exactly won with, you know, in convincing fashion. I know the game the, the, the game on match day one, um, they were 1-0 down. Um, and then against Leipzig, they, they were also drawing 1-1 at one point. It wasn't, you know, four too late goals from... Um, Alvarez and Doku to, to sort of get over the line. So I think he'll make some changes, but I don't think he will, because he, he, he won't want to underestimate, you know, young boys because they'll be, you know, wanting to, you know, provide a shock, you know, put it that way. Race also in action on uh, Wednesday night, Newcastle United. Last time out in the Champions League, they had that brilliant night uh, at home to PSG. And I suppose that we kind of want him more of the same up against Borussia Dortmund this time around at St. James's Park. And if they do, it takes them to seven points from three games. They've been away to AC Milan as well. This is the kind of points return that they would have only dreamed of, I think. You know, for them to be back in the Champions League, I think the fans, you know, are, are delighted and they're, and they're enjoying the journey. And if they get that win against Dortmund, it, it looks very strongly like that journey could well continue in the Champions League in, into the new year. And, and they still have three games to go. It'll put them in a very, very strong position if they were to get another three points against Dortmund on Wednesday night. It really would, yeah. They'd be looking towards the knockout stages without trying to get ahead of themselves. But I think with this Newcastle takeover, I think we all thought it was going to take two or three years, maybe four years to get into the swing of things and get to this stage. And they're suddenly there straight away with pretty much a very similar squad to the one they had uh, not 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 too long ago. So I think they'll really fancy their chances against Dortmund after doing what they did to PSG. It's going to be difficult. It's not that first Champions League game at home. It's not going to have quite the same Bars, I don't think, to start with, depending on how the game gets underway. And Dortmund, they're flattered to deceive really in the Champions League. I think sometimes they can pick and choose which what their focus is on. And they've won five games in a row in the Bundesliga and they're undefeated there still. But this is a different different matter entirely. So I think if Dortmund were to get an early goal, that could maybe give them, give them a chance. But Newcastle will be hoping to do what they did to PSG and to Crystal Palace as well. And if they were to do that, they can look to the away game in Dortmund. They only need a point there. And then all of a sudden, they're... Uh, well, they're flying really, aren't they? So it's another big game. There's going to be some amazing flags on on show, I'm sure. Hopefully Dortmund allowed a, a few of their own to make it a bit more interesting. But uh, yeah, they'll be really confident um, despite the form of Dortmund in the league and uh, the Champions League. It looks like it could be Newcastle's time to to go far in the competition. And Kieran, just to wrap up this morning, we'll come on to Liverpool's game uh, against Toulouse just quickly. But of course, uh, Thursday night is your open night as BT and our TNT Sports love to tell us. Uh, so you've got... Aston Villa away to AZ Outmar in the Europa Conference League, 545. You've got West Ham away to Olympiacos. Uh, for anyone who didn't see the news from, from Greece over the weekend, that could be a bit interesting, couldn't it? Uh, the, <laughs> the Athens derby, or or I suppose it's not Athens, is it? It's Piraeus, where Olympiacos are from. But their derby with Banovanaikos uh, getting suspended at the weekend uh, because of crowd trouble. Uh, and West Ham have that interesting task of going out there this week 5.45 kickoff as well for that one on Thursday uh, but Liverpool in uh, at home to Toulouse Thursday night 8 o'clock and much like we spoke about Manchester City and, and Newcastle perhaps taking a giant stride with wins this week into the knockout stages you look at Liverpool they go five points clear at the top of their group with a win over Toulouse on Thursday and that really would put them with one foot in, in the knockout stages and also save them that 
extra couple of games of that playoff round as well, wouldn't it? And that would be crucial for for this Liverpool side. Yeah, I think um, I think obviously Liverpool, you know, have won two games in the Europa League so far, and I think they will uh, make few changes to the side against Toulouse. But I don't think you know they'll make too many. I think they've got a nice big squad now, Liverpool, compared to what they have in recent years. They've got sort of five sort of senior attackers in in Salah, Jota. Um, I know he's injured at the minute, but Gapo, Diaz, yeah, and and I think for me, um, I think Liverpool will will get the job done against Toulouse, but I don't think um, it'll be as easy again as as people expected against you know Union Saint Gilloa. I think that's how you pronounce it. Last time out, I think they they defended superbly throughout most of the game, but were undone from two sort of you know one goalkeeper error and and one on the counter attack. So I think again, like in Premier League matches, a fine margin separate you know the two sides. Um, but I think Liverpool will get the job done. Um, against Toulouse but for, for the other you know Europa League games Brighton face Ajax I think for me that's the that's the most you know sort of you know interesting sort of matchup for me because Ajax have had a really really bad start to the season um, you know they've they've lost the last four matches in the league um, they've won one game you know in, in the Eredivisie all season they drew the first two Europa League matches but you know, I don't know if you, anybody saw the game yesterday against Utrecht, got suspended twice through sort of, you know, fans throwing missiles onto the pitch. It was it was kept chaotic, simply chaotic and and they are, you know, really not in a good place. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Brighton, you know, do up against, you know, traditionally a, a really, really big football club. But one of, you know, the on-pitch performances at the minute really aren't sort of doing that, that sort of badge, any sort of you know, justice at all. So, you know, Brighton need to win as well for their Europa League sort of exploits. They've, you know, only picked up one point from from the two games. I think it'll be a really interesting matchup that. Rhys, Kieran, thank you so much for your time as always, but we're just out of time this morning. Now, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, Europa Conference League and everything else you can take a stick at uh, across the Daily Star, Daily Express and Daily Mirror websites. But for now, it's goodbye.